James and I are so excited today. It is KDB Day. Catherine DeBrain is joining us from South Africa by way of San Diego. Uh, Catherine is one of the most versatile, wise, humble, and approachable ISEF trainers in the mm -hmm. world. It is such an honor to have her on our show today. Welcome to the Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Therapy with your hosts, Dr. James Hawkins and Dr. Ryan Reyna. EFT is a dynamic model that humbles even the most seasoned therapists. Together, we want to come alongside you as you continually push the leading edge of your understanding and application of this wonderful model developed by Dr. Sue Johnson. Yeah, so I, I am excited to be here with Catherine DeBrain, or as Ryan and I like to call her, KDB. Uh, KDB in the house, it really is. I, and I do appreciate her wisdom and the versatility. I mean, I mean, she's going to be speaking at a conference here that's coming up in March with um, ESP across internationally. She Today we're going to be asking her about some things with the work she does with the EFFT. Uh, she's a great, I mean, doing like high conflict divorce cases out in San Diego. I mean, what does this, what does KDB not do? I, I, I'm at a loss. I don't, I don't know. Ryan, do you know? I don't think there's anything. I think she has a whole selection of capes, pretty much anything you need to do. She's superwoman. Yeah. So Catherine, thank you so much for being here with us. Oh my gosh, what a lead in. I feel like a super lady right now. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's fantastic to be back in Arkansas on the show. Really appreciate the invite. Yeah, you are super lady. I, I, I mean that in, in the very, I really appreciate you. And she also has a perfect accent. I mean, this is, I'm feeling the shame just being on the receiving end here. But anyway, let's, let's hear from some of her wisdom. <laughs> Yeah, when, for I sure. was, when I was growing up, uh, my parents told me, hey, if you ever want to get more attention in life, just figure out a cool accent. <laughs> and, and, Ar and Arkansas accents don't count for that, unfortunately. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great. Your parents are very wise, witty people. Um, so, you know, even speaking of, you, speaking of your versatility, I mean, I guess my leading question with you is, you know, I heard you say EFFT, but, and, you know, high conflict divorces, couples. Do you even like working with kids, though? Oh, my gosh. I actually, uh, I think I'm, like, really goofy and I'm sort of childlike, even in, in my the way that I speak. And so, yeah, I'm all about children. I got to work with children, actually, in uh, practice in South Africa because no one else wanted to work with them. I was the new kid on the block and they were like, no one's working with kids. So that's going to be you. Um, but as I happened into it, I found that I just sort of understand kids really well. I am really childlike and I just get it. But I will say that um, that got me really stuck. It got me really stuck as a marriage and family therapist because I like playing so much. I love the toys. And I started focusing too much on the children and I ended up alienating the parental system. And so a lot of my work with children, I think, wasn't as effective as it could and should, should have been. Um, and I ended up losing a lot of parents. Parents would pull their children out of play therapy with me because I wasn't addressing the entire system. So I've learned by making tons of mistakes along the way. Wow, that's good. So... You know, you know, when you talk about working with the entire system, I wonder what does it even look like? You so you get this family system that comes in, the kids 
having their issues with expressing and accessing their emotions. Their parents are trying so hard to fix them. I mean, like, what do you do to even begin to organize that process when you're doing that? Yeah, I think it really starts with with one's mindset um, right away because it is it is sort of um, you want to collude, right? So if parents like 10, 15 years ago were calling my, me up and saying, oh, I really want to bring my child to you. Okay. And usually it's children with high anxiety or there's some kind of abuse or divorce situations. And so I just felt so honored and I'm like, yes, I'd love to work with your child. But now um, because I work with the whole system, it's right from the get-go on that initial phone call that I have to set the expectation. And so the way that I'll do that is I'll say, oh, thank you so much for wanting to bring your child to me. Actually, I'm a marriage and family therapist, or if you're not, you can say I work systemically. And so I want to get to know your little kiddo in the world that matters most to them, which is your family. Mm. And so I'd love to meet all of you. So here's the way that I work with children. First, I meet with the caregivers. So can you and the other parent, your child's other parent come in together or whoever else is important in their lives? And then the second session would be a family session so I can get to know your child in the context that matters most with their siblings and everyone else in the household. And then during that session, once your child's comfortable in the playroom and with me, because you've introduced them to me, then I'll take a little bit of time alone with your kiddo. And then I'll meet back with you as parents or caregivers and we'll put our heads together about what treatment approach is going to be most helpful in terms of the presenting problems you have. And that could be parental support. That could be um, individual play therapy just for your child. It could be some family sessions. It could even be some dyadic parent-child sessions. Um, so I will we'll decide together as, as a parental team at that point. I had to play that because I like to play. I'm starting to incorporate that now. When someone says something that just gets my attention, and what she just ran through there was giving a family system a framework for therapy that they then can choose if they want to be a part of or not. I just love that was so clear. I hope the listeners grabbed kind of what you were able to share there. Can I tell you how I learned that? Yeah. Okay. So th this was like um, maybe like 10 years ago. So I, this, this single mom just moved to San Diego and she's got this 13 year old who's really depressed. And so of course she wants to bring her daughter and I meet with the daughter again and again. And then one day single mom couldn't find babysitting for her three-year-old. Um, and so she comes into the waiting room and now I'm stuck. I'm like, Oh dear, I've got one playroom at my disposal today. I've got a mom. I can't leave a three-year-old all alone in the playroom. And I've got a 13 year old, right? So I'm like, okay, let's be flexible. Bring all of them into the playroom. Do you know what happened? I wanted to sit on one side of my playroom where I had some chairs and chat to the 13 year old and mom and just have the three year old play in the corner with the toys. But the three year old was bouncing off the walls so much. Mom was jumping up every other moment to go and regulate the three year old. And at one point I just did like a mental snapshot. I looked over at the 13 year old and I saw this little girl sitting there with this gloomy downcast face, right? She, this was her one hour with mommy, but once again, her little sister who couldn't be regulated was, was taking mom away from her. And so suddenly in that one moment, I got a fuller conceptualization of the, of the 13 year old symptoms. And I've never, ever again, ever seen a child 
without seeing that child in the family system, because I want to know who else is in the system affecting that kiddo's life. It was a big, a big lesson for me. It was, you know, so we're going to get ready to take a break. But when we come back from the break, I want to kind of find out from you if you, you know, so we know you like working with kids now. Obviously, we can see the energy for you. <laughs> and then when we come back, I want to just kind of like, so when you come in and you, you enter into that family system, you begin working with them. You know, what's mm-hmm. kind of like the leading edge of like your work, what you're learning from other EFTers that you're supervising or training about working yes. with those families in distress? Before we do, well, before before we uh, do, I I just want to compliment that you know, which is really a compliment to you and your trainer role. You're very versatile and flexible. You know, a lot of people work with kids, or work with families, or work with adults. There's not many people who who show that flexibility. What you're doing there, when I was trained, we we would call that rotating subsystems. So you would, you, you're, you're flexible to bring people in, move people around, you know, whatever you can do to create a shift in the system. Or I wonder what, what language you would, you would use to, to give that 13 year old, uh, young, young lady what she needs, right. And to give her a, a space where she can grow. Is that, is that language you would use or think about? Yeah, I love that idea, Ryan, of rotating the systems. And I don't think you can come in and be a part of changing the system until you have fully understood the system. And so I think assessing the system fully over time by meeting with different diets or triads or the full system at some point, I think that's really important before we try to bring change. Man, I want to unpack that some more, but we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with you all. Do you want more help getting focused in your work with relationships and distress, but you needed to fit into your already busy schedule and you want it to be affordable? Check out successandvulnerability.com. Success and Vulnerability is an excellent online video-based curriculum developed by a team of EFT trainers, supervisors, and therapists who share their unique insights and therapeutic styles to help you succeed at working with relational distress. The SV program is for therapists at all stages of development who want to grow in their ability to work with emotional and relational distress. Success and vulnerability is also a great tool to help supervisors increase their effectiveness and supervision to help give focused expert feedback for to help people get better in their work with couples and families and even individuals. Success and Vulnerability uses multiple forms of learning from didactic to experiential exercises and actual clinical cases with commentary to help you learn the micro moves of emotionally focused therapy. We look forward to be a part of helping you and your clients have success where it matters most in vulnerability. All right, Catherine, I was loving what you were saying. Let's just jump right back there. I want to fully understand the system before I can change it. We rotate subsystems. Tell us more about your approach in those moments and and what you most go to to create uh, change and growth. Well, I think this EFFT um, that's been developed now and so beautifully put out in the book and in trainings is incredibly powerful. And I think it's for, for the world that I work in, which is training play therapists, um, it integrates so beautifully into the EFFT model. And um, what I often will car- encourage play therapists, because traditionally I would say that play therapists are people who love kids and love playing and they want to be able to do that work. But 
I always come back to that saying, if you, if you give a man a fish, he has food for a day. If you teach him how to fish, he has food for a lifetime. And that's just important that the work that we do is going to be longer lasting. You can definitely regulate a kid by playing with them alone. But man, if you can go in and help the parents learn how to do that, how to regulate their children, um, the, the change goes across multiple relationships. Um, in the world of play therapy research, we're seeing that now that any of the play therapy models that incorporates the caregiver, the prognosis is way, way better, right? And not to jump on a, 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 my soapbox here, but I think you can also do harm by only working with a child and not considering um, the bigger system. Um, so, so that's really important too. So the goal in EFT is to help the parents or the parental system become more accessible. And if you're a parent yourself or you've got um, children that you love in your life, you'll know that one of the things that feels best as a parent is when you can help your kids feel better, right? You want to be able to comfort your children when they're distressed. And I think if you break down parenting or EFFT into those terms, that's essentially what we're doing. We're coming in as a therapist and getting to know the children. How do their little brains work? How do their systems work? What's their nervous system like that they inherited? And how do you help them feel better? And then you're going and giving the parents that perspective because maybe they've exhausted. Maybe they've been a little, um, you know, blinded because of some trauma in their lives. So we're coming in and resourcing them taking over for a little while and then teaching them and helping them see their children in a clearer way, but ultimately just helping them learn how to regulate their kids. Um, and children are all different, right? So, I mean, what works for one doesn't always work for another. Yeah. Two things jump out, jump off the page there for me there. So when you're talking about um, helping parents learn how to regulate the kids, it, there's a big difference between teaching parenting and doing experiential work. Uh, I'm guessing that's what you're, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool because um, there are a lot of really cool attachment family therapy models out there, but EFFT is unique in the sense that we see the parents as our clients as well. So we're not coming in only behaviorally or cognitively or teaching parenting skills. The child is not our only client. The whole system is our client. And so we're looking for those parental blocks. And the cool thing about many of you have probably learned that in EFFT, but when it comes to EFFT and play therapy, which is usually used with younger children, instead of talking to the parents about how to do this, you can actually do it through play. So to give you an example, let's, so I'm going to bring, let's say I'm going to bring um, Ryan and his three-year-old into the room and his three-year-old is like this little girl who was jumping off the walls. We're going to recreate that scenario. Okay. We're going to trigger them like we do in EFFT and the little girl is going to be jumping all around the room. And in that moment, instead of talking to Ryan about it, I'm going to be like, Ryan, oh my gosh, do you see how much energy she has? Let's go grab her by the hands and help her jump even higher. And then how about a big bear hug? And so you can use play to bring um, touch and structure and parental hierarchy and, and um, closeness and engagement and the things that actually do regulate a young child in order to calm her nervous system. And then when we've created that moment and you're hugging her and you, and you start breathing deeply with her and she feels calmer, then I can say, wow, did you see how even just that hand holding, holding and you leading the play, 
helped her take a big breath and her body's so much calmer right now. That's an example of how we would incorporate play with, with family therapy. Beautiful. I love that. You know, and I was a much better parent before I actually had my own kids. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. And, uh, you know, you can, I still struggle with this as a human. Um, thankfully my training has helped me see this, but it, it's easy for a parent to see their kid's behavior as somehow distant from them or, or disconnected, you know? So a lot of parents are like, Hey, I'm going to drop off my kid and, you know, change how they think, you know, or, or make them mind me, obey me. Their, their attitude is bad and, and not even recognize with no ill will, not even recognize that they're part of a system. And, and that in fact, the, as, as much talent and potential um, as and, and, and beauty that live within a kid, they don't have much power yet in life and in a family. Mm-hmm. And so the parents still hold the power. Or, or maybe you see that differently. How would you speak to that? Um, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that there are very specific times that we can hold a child in a system by meeting with them individually because maybe the parents are emotionally exhausted or going through a big legal battle. Um, but I, I do think it's important. What, what, what do children really need most is for us to work on the parental system. So whatever it takes for us to educate the system and to get them back in again and to um, advocate for that on a, a court level as well in legal battles. Um, and I think uh, it's different across the world. I think there's cultures and countries that understand this better. Um, but I'm seeing a lot of changes in America where 15 years ago, the, the parents, like I said, would call me and say, hey, I want to drop my kiddo off and I'm not even going to be in the waiting room. I'm going to go do some shopping. Um, I've seen such a big change now. I really think that we are educating our society. And more often now, I have people call in and say, hey, our family needs help. I even have parents call in and say, hey, we're planning on going through a divorce. Can we meet with you in advance so we know how to help our children through this tremendous transition? So I'm very proud of the work that we're doing in the world and how the lay public is learning how important families and systems are. Wow, man, you gave me another direction to even go there. Like, so now I'm thinking about two places to really ask you questions and I'll let you choose, right? Being collaborative in this interview process. Mm -hmm. Um, The first part was when you were talking, I love the picture you created that you're trying to understand the, the child and how their brain, how their attachment system works to then you become that attachment, like translator between that's what came up for me. Like you translate and and amplify that experience, go into what Ryan's saying when they don't have power to maybe, or ability to put voice to it, you go in and find it. Then you show Mm -hmm. it to the parents and then the parents, like there's so much that could happen there with the parent, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. guilt, shame kind of things could come up. But I'm kind of wondering what is like when, when KDB is in that spot and she's between the child and the parent, and she's making the child's experience come alive. But maybe the parent blocks you as you're trying to help bring that experience over for, to help bring that caregiving response over from them to the child. What do you do when like you're trying to be in that spot and they block you as a parent? Mm, like in the moment and the kiddo's in the room with yeah. me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, um, it's hard not to like be more on the child's side. Right. But in that moment, I have to remind myself, hold on, parent is my client too. And how incredibly vulnerable and humble it is as a parent to come in and say, hey, I need some resourcing. Um, 
And I'm so reminded as a parent how it's the most important job in my world is how I'm parenting my children. And yet whoever tells me how I'm doing, whoever comes and helps me, no one's ever freaking trained me how to do this. <laughs> so I, I'm amazed at these parents and I'm so proud of them and I already care about them and I'm humbled that they're letting me into their lives and into their very tender space. And so I am there to build them up. I am there to build up their self-esteem as parents and show them and resource them and do whatever it takes to bring them back online. Because at the end of the day, what this child needs is not a cool relationship with me as a fun play therapist. They need their, their parent. That's great. And I, lo- I love that you're trying to build them up, right? Because the more secure a parent is, the more secure they're going to respond to their, to their kids. That's, love. that's, a, that's a great thought. I want to go a little practical with you here because one, one of our biggest topics here um, is, is focus. I think that's one of the hardest parts of doing uh, therapy. Anytime there's more than one person in the room, focus is, is not simple. So I can just imagine in, in your case, it's working with full families, three, four, five people in the room. When you're in the middle of chaos or when you, you, know, you first open up with a question and things go 15 different directions, what thoughts come to mind for you in terms of how to get focus um what what do you say what do you do what do you think about right in that moment um lots of people in the room well first i think is regulating myself while that can feel chaotic and out of control i really do not believe that you can understand this little human being unless you see them in the context of their relationship you can't possibly see the child's symptoms outside of that attachment relationship and understand what they mean because those symptoms are functioning in the relationship and are pulling for closeness in a very specific way. And so it's very important for me to have a dyad in the room and see it play out or have the child in that family system. So first is to myself that, yeah, even though it might feel messy or chaotic, I am seeing a way clearer picture of what actually happens in this family and I can feel it with him. So first of all, I take a breath and I reframe what's happening. And then number two, I want to feel part of that system with him. I want to open up my heart and feel alongside him and see the bouncing back and what's happening And then I want to say, oh my gosh, this helps me really see you as a family. And here's what I see. You said this, then you did this, then you did this, and then you jumped up. Wow. You're really helping me see what happens at home. Thank you so much. Do you see it how I see it too? And so I guess if it's very, very active in the room, I'm going to become more directive and I'm going to jump in and start to um, show the dynamic, make it explicit. That usually will draw people's attention. That will slow things down a little bit. And then I can start to follow up with, with one person or another. But ultimately, I do want to get everyone's perspective or give everyone a chance to talk. doesn't really matter where I begin, except for with certain cultures. It would be very important to start with the person in the room with the most power or hierarchy, et cetera. Wow. That was a very clear answer. Catherine, thank you. No, like I, I, I wish y'all can't see the video. My eyes are big because, like, you said that. By the way, just so you know, like every time we've asked that focus question to Sue and Leanne, they always start with the first answer that you said: regulate yourself. Oh, really? oh cool. That, so, listeners, that says something. It's great. You know, so we want to help you. Me. Yep, yep, yep. Well, I mean, but it says something. How can you go into the fire if you yourself aren't regulated? 
Like, mm-hmm. so you catch yourself, regulate yourself, and then you immediately move into, let me watch this cycle play out. Let me see it. Then you went into, you went into like reflecting it. I see. I, and even I like the way you did it. I hope they caught your tone. Oh, I, you match them, right? You match the energy of, I see it. I see it. You're, you're jumping. You do this. You do that. You do that. And I see, and you give them an attachment, refer, you reflect it back to them. And then, you, mm-hmm. like you said, you get more explicit in that reactive moment. And then it's almost like if they come down with you, then you get you go back to work again when the reactivity kind of calms and soothes. Am I getting that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Because I do remind myself that they live this all the time. And mm. it's okay for me to recreate that in a room to really get an experience of what it's like in this family. And so, you know, in an animated way, like I was talking about Ryan jumping in and catching the little three-year-old's hands and pulling him, like we're doing that, you know, emotionally, right? We're meeting people where they are and then pulling them back towards us. That was a good line right there. I can't get to the heart button right now, but they live this all the time. It's okay for me to recreate it. And then KDB is recreating it because I'm going to make it come alive and I'm going to go in and help them have a different experience with it. Yeah, eventually, once I understand it a bit better. I like that you keep eventually once I understand it better. That's good. <laughs> and I, I even liked where you started there. It's consistent with one of our previous episodes on the, the two paths concept. And I think it's, I think it's a little counterintuitive um, for a lot of therapists. So when you're in the chaos, when there's a lot of escalation, you take a very active role. You, be- mm-hmm. you become the stronger, wiser other, at least momentarily, to keep the cycle from taking over. And then my guess is later on, if, if they slow down, if, if someone's sharing vulnerability or around enactments, you, you, you might slow down a little bit and maybe have a less directive role. Is that a fair way to say that? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think what's, I think while it feels messy and chaotic to us, I think often to parents, they're just so grateful that you're seeing what they experience at home. And I actually think that a family that shows up in this way actually feels quite safe to let this come out in the therapy context. I find the family sessions that are way harder are the families who come in and are quiet and well-behaved and everything's great and happy. And it's harder to actually get into the stuff, right. That happens under the surface or is at home. So, um, but yeah, so I think once once the parents get the sense that, hey, you're really seeing how we live, you saw how these kids acted out, they sort of take a breath, a sigh of relief, um, and then they're willing to have you work with them and slow them down a little bit, yeah. Right? Like when we carry those burdens as if they're our own, then the parents can also relinquish them a little more. Yeah. And feel more and so you did something there that took me back to something you said earlier that I did feel in my body that I thought was good. And it's something I learned with Ryan in a training before that the EFFT can be very vulnerable for the parents. They do have power, but it's very vulnerable because there's a shame orientation. Like I'm coming into another adult who I, because I'm having issues with my kids that I couldn't kind of take care of. So you ran a beautiful validation earlier that I just love what you did and I, I wish I would have said something about it earlier, but you you did the first part of, I remember that this parent is my client too. The child does need me because the child doesn't have as much power, but I, but I do remember the parent is my client too. And then I love you went into like a self of the therapist type move with that validation. 
I mean, what about me if I this place and you start in the validation? So, yes, this has to be so hard. It brings up so many feelings. So I totally get it. You know, I don't know. I just wanted to kind of go back and highlight how you're able to because in family systems, it's, you know, I think we when we see kids, it can alarm our attachment system to really want to protect, 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 protect. But what we cannot yeah, do is then right. destroy the parent for a miss or something, because guess who goes home with the child afterwards? I know. Right? Not yeah, you. Exactly. Yeah, You've yeah. got to be able to hold space yeah. for that parent and validation for their struggle. You're not going to drop the kid. But then if you can go and help that parent, you really are still helping the kid with that situation. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about keeping your eye also on the relationship. Uh, that is helpful because we're not trying to have like perfect kids or the best childhood possible. We are trying to help a parent and a child have a synchronous relationship, whatever that means in their context. Those two, the parent and the child need to be in balance. The child needs enough proximity with the parent in order to grow and develop. And the parent needs to be just accessible enough and the, that creates normative relationships and those are good enough in our society and so we have to be very careful as therapists also not to have our standards be impossible or too high and um and so looking at the child is a problem looking at the parent is a problem i really love what winnicott said he said i don't see a mom and a baby i see a nursing pair and that's why we keep having to look at that attachment relationship and, and like, let's say you have a kid who's acting out. If that's not a problem for the parent, guess what? It's not a problem in the world. Mm. Right? If, 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 the, if the parent and the child have acclimated to each other and it's working for the two of them, that's all that we're going for. Sorry, there's a lot to say there. Um, no, it's really good. It, it, it's, it speaks to a conversation James and I were having this morning. You know, enough. Attachment really is about, uh, it's a percentage. It's, 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 it's about enough. I've seen some parents who they, they kind of know attachment and they get the signal that they're supposed to keep their kids happy at all times and be perfectly attuned to every single emotion and the kids should never have distress. And that actually won't even allow attachment. And it, it really sends some kind of dangerous signals actually to the child. I see your, I see your facial expression. What does that mean? I was like, oh my gosh, Rana went there. This is very controversial mm. because Bowlby's work was very deeply misunderstood. I think in the late sixties, right? When, when attachment parenting came in and misunderstood what he was talking about. And they started advocating for parents who were with their children closely all the time, literally the co-sleeping, parents on the hip, nursing your babies, carrying your babies. And all of those are wonderful things, by the way. But the, they misunderstood the, the child's need to also explore and have distance from the parent to um, an appropriate degree. And so that mantra of never do something for a child, what they can do for themselves it's so important because otherwise you end up being that helicopter parent doing too much for them. And that gets in the way of them being able to develop and grow. And so I was just thinking of, of how we often misunderstand that and hold children too close and over suffocate them. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. I think that's a cultural problem as well. Or, or in many cultures, there's this sense that, that if, if we do regulate and repair, 
in distress, it's going to be, it's going to be, you know create this enmeshment and dependency. Mm-hmm. And the research shows the opposite. When mm-hmm. when I can be mm-hmm. with you enough, when I can be with you yeah. enough that that you have a, a felt sense of me, it actually creates independence slash interdependence slash curiosity where I can really explore. Yeah. And that's the secure yeah. base. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Can I give you an example? Yeah, that'd be great. I'm a, I, I'm a mother of three. Okay. And I love social experiments. So don't judge me too much for this. But um, when my son was like two years old, he was just walking and we go to the park every day. And I was a bit of a tired, I'm not going to say lazy, but I felt very tired a lot of the time. I was a very old mom. And so I didn't really feel like getting up and running off him all the time. So I figured this thing out. So we'd be sitting at, I'd be sitting on the bench and my son would walk away because he wants to grow and develop and see the world. So he's exploring. And then he would get about 10 feet steps away from me. And at that point he would turn his head and check to see if mommy was watching because I'm the secure base. And if at that moment I was watching, he went a little further and then checked again and went a little further and he kept going further. And so I didn't want to have to run after him. So I noticed that I obviously I was watching him all the time, but the moment that he turned his little head back to see if I was there, if I looked down or looked away, guess what? He didn't go any further his secure, his window of tolerance, he'd come to the edge of it. Right. And so I like what you're saying, right? So I could sort of control him with that and like withdraw my attention, but yeah, the further he went, the more secure he felt with me. Love it. Since we're, since we're confessing, I'll confess with you too. When, when my kids, my kids are old now, so it's kind of too late to judge me. They're fine. (laughs) Um, But when we were in grocery stores or in shopping centers, you know, and the kids are kind of into everything. I had other family members who were like chasing the kids and like trying to keep them from things. And, and they're like, why don't you do that? And I'm like, well, if they're going to get hurt, you need to. But I had the opposite approach. Um, I, I would start to walk away from them, you know, 10 feet, 12 feet. And, and the kids are phenomenal about checking you. And when uh-huh. you start to move away uh-huh. from them a little bit, it activates their attachment system. And then so instead of instead of grabbing uh-huh. the next toy, they 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 it triggers them to learn to follow you. Yeah. It works beautifully. That proximity system, right? Yeah. Is up and running all the time. I love that you did that too, and then it's not just me. And there are children who won't do that, but I find that that's because of neurological issues, things like ADD or sensory issues where those are overshadowing the attachment system. So even that gives us a lot of good information. So that's what I wanted to segue back to here as we start to run out of time a little bit. You know, that, that system is, it, it, it works until it doesn't, right? And, um, you know, yeah. when, when yeah. something is overriding either the parent's ability to respond at the right level or channel mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. kids, you know, in therapy, what is your target you're shooting for? Like if, if the perfect thing could happen at minute 45 in a family session, w- what kind of interaction do you want to shape? What would that look like practically or, or what's your target you're going for uh, in a family session? Oh, I might use another story if I might. Hey, so my daughter got into all-star soccer and she was playing um, a competition on um, Sunday And I surprised myself. I'm not, I don't really see myself as much of a helicopter parent. Okay. But in the soccer game, there was this really strong team 
and they kept bumping into my girl and like she kept falling over and this part of me came out like I thought I was gonna jump on that field and like do not hurt my kid like I was so protective meanwhile she's like 11 years old like she's old enough to handle herself right and luckily there was a referee there that I knew I was going to get into trouble and be one of those parents if I jumped onto the field. But you know what? In that moment, it's so uncomfortable inside of me. Like I am experiencing so much pain as a mom because I can't protect her, right? Like she has to have her own experiences. She has to fall down and get hurt and figure it out and build her self-esteem. And I had to emotionally regulate and it was so difficult and so I think um, in the therapy session, these are the, the, the experiences we're getting into is the end, edge of the parent's tolerance level. Like they start to see and feel the child's inner experience as it gets safer in the room and as more is revealed. And then the parent gets to a spot where they can't hold it anymore emotionally. And that's what activates the parent's strategy. And that's the moment that I want to get into in minute 45 and then regulate parent regulate parent and grow parents window of tolerance by being there with them by co-burdening with them and I, can we stay there that's the focus since that's where you want to get and when you get that moment what does what does it mm-hmm. if i were like kind of watching katie be on a camera what would i see um lots of empathy validation soothing regulating wow parent your heart is growing another size Thank you for feeling mm. that. Um, what's that like to stay here? And I'm really going to uh, reframe it into the parental intent of, of walking in their child's experience. Mm. This is, this is, and then explain what they, how the coping strategy they usually use relates to this internal pain that they're having as a parent for their child. Wow. So I don't know if I'm saying it very clearly. That's all right. Because if you like what you heard here today from KDB, <laughs> they can also find more of your training material. Uh, where would they, I don't know if you know the website right offhand, we'll put it in the show notes, but how could they find the trainings that you have out there um, on more of this? Yeah, thanks friends. Um, EFFT.org, EFFT.org. It's the ICF website for emotionally focused family therapy. And on that website, we have a lot of videos that you can download. I have two videos there for those of you who are doing family therapy with young children, zero to 12. And if you want to incorporate play therapy, um, I've got a training on there that I did with uh, Dr. Jim Farrow, where we explain how to incorporate play therapy. And by the way, you can do any, you can be any kind of play therapist you like. There's so many models out there. I really believe you can integrate any of them into working with attachment and emotion. And then I've got one more uh, video series on there, which is um, I heard a lot about people wanting to watch session, watch one family across sessions. So I've got a divorced family there with a young child. And I show you literally how I do the first session, second session, all the way to the eighth session. Um, so there's segments um, across that one family um, treatment um, on, on there as well. Man, y'all, y'all uh, uh, if you're listening right now, when you, get, when you park your car, you walk in your office, get your computer out, and go to EFFT.org and get this immediately. I'm excited. I want her to come to Arkansas. I do, too. Great stuff. Thank you so much for being with us. You're a pro. Thanks so much. It's been fun. Thanks for the chat.
All right, thank you so much. And we hope once again that even KDB's work here has helped you push your leading edge and the ability to work with families and pushing parents' leading edge in their work as well, too. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope this experience helps you push the leading edge in your work to help people connect with themselves and with each other. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can contact us at pushtheleadingedge at gmail.com. And you can follow us on our Facebook page at Push the Leading Edge. You can follow Ryan on Facebook at Ryan Rayner Professional Training and on his website, RyanRaynaTraining.com. You can follow James on Facebook and Instagram at DocHawkLPC. You can also check out his website, DocHawkLPC.com.